And yes, I am getting older. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. That is the text that we will be looking at. And then we will look at, for our New Testament reading, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 52. Let's hear the word of the Lord as we find it in Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will bear it alone. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house, on a seat by the highest places of the city, to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. And then if you turn over the Gospel of John, chapter 7, begin reading at verse 37 and read through verse 52. Again, the word of the Lord. On the last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanting to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, the one, he who came to him, came to Jesus by night, being one one of them, said to them, 
Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. It is quite obvious from our readings this morning that the Lord Jesus divides, as he says in another place, uh, dividing a family, two against three and three against two. Well, let's pray as we uh, look to the Lord this morning. Father, we do thank you for this time that we can gather together to worship you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe. And that we would not only hear your word, but we would be doers of that word. For we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is good to be here. And to see that the good work that the Lord started so many years ago, uh, he has continued. And I pray will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. I am thankful to have been a small part of that work that the Lord is doing here, and even more thankful to see how the Lord is blessing you under the leadership of your current pastor and session. And I would also say I'm very thankful for this privilege to preach the Word of God once more here at Leamington. So let's jump into the Word of God this morning and let's see what He has for us. Uh, as many of you know, I have always enjoyed preaching from the Old Testament because Jesus said that these are the scriptures that testify of me. And it's always a joy, for me at least, to see Christ in the Old Testament and to preach Christ from the Old Testament. Uh, I confess that over the years I've often needed help uh, in this regard, and I rejoiced when I would find some commentary or devotional where the author, author would do such a good job of, of bringing Christ out of the text. Uh, in fact, that's the reason uh, that this sermon came about, uh, that very reason. I, I've been reading through my Bible, uh, consulting uh, the family worship Bible commentary, and I kept coming across this one name that was always doing such a great job of preaching Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, I found this man had actually written a, a family devotional commentary uh, that went from First Chronicles all the way to the Song of Solomon. Uh, I was particularly interested in the Psalms, but I looked it up on Amazon. I found there was a hard copy for only five bucks, you know, and I thought, oh my. So I put it on my Father's Day wish list. This was last year. And of course, my wife, Sonia, got it for me. So I've been using that a lot this year, especially when reading through the Psalms. But I kept going uh, onto the Proverbs and, uh, and I thought this would be interesting, too, to see how this guy brings Christ out of the text and I was not disappointed, uh, especially when I came to chapter 9 of Proverbs. And as I read that, I thought, you know, this would make a good outline for a sermon. And I can tell you that is not a thought that I have had in the last two years. Okay? But all of a sudden that came to me since I had retired. But I knew someday I actually might be coming back here to Leamington and I might be given the opportunity to preach and... I'm pretty sure you've heard every sermon I've ever preached in the, you know, the distant past. Uh, some 1,800 sermons, I think, or so. Uh, that you've, I, there might be one among those that you have not heard, but I wasn't sure I could even find it if I did. So after all, almost two years, I decided to start working on a new sermon. Uh, now, what is interesting here in Proverbs 9 is not just that we need to see Christ here personified as wisdom, but we really should understand, as we have to do here, because we're just kind of jumping in the middle, 
that the Christ as the wisdom of God has already been introduced to us in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 8. And, and I'm not going to read that whole chapter, but I'm going to highlight some of the things that are set, uh, said there just to kind of set up what we find in chapter 9. Uh, first of all, the wisdom of God as it is found in Christ is not silent. God speaks to us of the wisdom that we find in Christ. Proverbs 8, beginning at the very beginning of that chapter. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her. So Solomon, the the wise man who wrote the book of Proverbs, he goes on to explain from here that, that wisdom is the only way for us to go in this world. Wisdom is clearly proclaimed here to be the the fear of the Lord, which is to hate evil. Wisdom is the way to life. And the wisdom of God is better than anything that this world can offer us. Proverbs 8, verses 17 through 19. I love those who love me. This is wisdom speaking again. And and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold. And my revenue than choice silver. Also, Christ's wisdom was there at the beginning. At the beginning of time, at the beginning of creation. We, we read of that again in Proverbs 8, verses 30 and 31. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Now, if you think about it, this is really no different than than what it actually says at the beginning of the Gospel of John. All things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And and I want to kind of highlight those words there where Christ says, as wisdom in uh, chapter 8 of Proverbs, that His delight was with the sons of men. I mean, just think on that. Just meditate upon that for a moment. Christ delights in the sons of men. Sinful though we are. He delights in us so much that He gave Himself for us. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit, they they really culminate, as far as you and I are concerned, in the salvation of sinners like you and me. Such is the wonderful grace of God to us in Christ. Glory to God for His great love and His great mercy and His grace that He has given to us through His Son. 
Now, I'm almost done here with this introduction uh, from chapter 8 of Proverbs. We're going to get to chapter 9 soon. But I, I want to point out the last five verses of chapter 8 because it's really kind of setting the stage here for chapter 9. Proverbs 8, verses 32 through 36. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. And all those who hate me love death. Now what follows in chapter 9 is that there are now two ways set before us. Two ways that are found in this life for everyone, for all of mankind. There is the way of wisdom, which is the way of Christ. And there is the way of folly, which is the way of sin. One leads to life, to abundant life, eternal life. And one leads to death, hopeless death, eternal death. And the question for us this morning is, which path are we on? That's what we all need to consider as we come to God's Word this morning. My theme will be that Christ calls us to Himself as the wisdom of God. This is Christ calling you and me to Himself. And under that, I have three points for you. Uh, the way of wisdom, we find it in verses 1 through 12. The way of folly in verses 13 through 18. And then for our conclusion, we're going to look at the way of Christ. Christ calls us to Himself as the wisdom of God. The wisdom that you and I need. We're going to look at the way of wisdom. We're going to look at the way of folly. And then we're going to kind of sum it up with the way of Christ. <clears throat> now, in my introduction here, which highlights chapter 8, we, we have already seen the excellency of the heavenly wisdom of God as it is found in Christ Himself. We have seen the loveliness and the glory of our heavenly Teacher. There is no one like our Savior. There is no one who offers us what He does. He's beyond compare. And so now we are invited to come and partake of the feast. This feast that's the way of wisdom. That's how it's described here in those first 12 verses of, of chapter 9. Wisdom has prepared her feast. And she calls all to come. Come as her welcome guest. May the Lord give us an appetite for this heavenly feast that we find only in Christ. May we all come and may we sit down at this table and eat and feast and live forever. For you see, it is only here at the feast of wisdom, at the bounty of Christ, that you and I will find that which will satisfy our souls. Nothing else will. So what are the preparations that wisdom that our Lord Jesus Christ has made for us in His preparation for this grand and gracious feast that He sets before us. What kind of invitations are given out to those who have ears to hear? Now, is there any doubt at what's being offered here when you think about it? Do we, do we not see the offer of the wisdom of God that this is really nothing less than the offer of Jesus Christ Himself to us? Nothing less than salvation in all of its fullness that we find in Him and Him alone. This is not an offer of worldly wisdom. The, wor the wisdom of this world is foolishness. The world gives us false promises. 
And it never follows through. We're going to see that soon enough. But what we have here, if we compare spiritual things to spiritual, as we're told to do in 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14, what we find here is something far greater, far, far greater than anything that this world can offer us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You and I, we are called to something higher, something better, something much, much greater than anything that this world can offer us. And what I want to point out to you, it's not just being saved from hell. It's being saved from something more than just eternal death. That what we are being offered here at the Feast of Christ is salvation in all of its fullness. I know you know this, right? It's justification. The act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, received by faith alone. It's adoption as well. The act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number And we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. It's sanctification, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. And all of this will culminate in our glorification. First of all, at death, the souls of believers are made perfect in holiness. And they do immediately pass into glory. And our bodies, being still united to Christ, think about that, do rest in the grave till the resurrection. And then, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God for all eternity. All this is ours It's yours in Christ who is the wisdom of God to us, who is, as we read earlier in the, uh, the, uh, what's it called? I lost my pen. Assurance of pardon, I'm sorry. Who is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30. So I want you to listen again. I'm going to read the first six verses of Proverbs 9. And think about this again as Christ who is calling us to come to Him to feast upon all that He has for us. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her meat. She's mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maiden. She cries from the highest places of the city, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come, eat, of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. You see, there is this great feast that is prepared for all those who have ears to hear so that they might come to the feast. It's a feast that's beyond compare. 
It's a feast that meets the deepest needs, the greatest desires of our hearts and our souls. And Christ calls you to come. He invites you to come to the feast. And will you not respond to His call? Will you still cling to your sin and your misery when you were offered this great and glorious feast of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Maybe you remember that quote from C.S. Lewis in this regard. I know I used it here many times on many different occasions. You know, Lewis said, Our, our problem is not that our desires are too strong, they're too weak. And our desires are for the wrong things. We were made, we were created to be passionate for the best things. And yet we settle for things that are not really worthy of us. Here's what Lewis said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with when infinite joy. When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And isn't that the truth? We like our comfortable little sins, our temporal little pleasures in this world, and we won't give them up for the greatest thing that could ever happen to us. And what is that? What is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you? It's to be a child of God. And not just go to heaven when you die, but to glorify God and enjoy God right now, here in this life. And then one day, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, fully, completely in the life to come. You see, the joy of salvation, it's not just reserved for heaven. It is a, the jubilation of dining at a feast with the Most High God that you and I can experience here and now. It's the joy that comes from communing with the God who loved us and who gave Himself for us. And there is no greater joy than this. And yet, how often do we turn away? How, how little do we know of this joy? Why is that? Because we will not listen to wisdom. Because we will not listen to Christ. Because we will not come to the feast that He's prepared for us. Now I think our, our Lord Himself actually kind of gives us the best exposition of this text in the Gospel of Matthew. Because there in Matthew, Jesus speaks very often about the kingdom of heaven. That is this glorious time of the Gospel that you and I are now living in. And how does He describe it? Well, often He describes it as a feast. Think of that. And he tells us that all the provisions of the feast have been prepared. And the invitation has been then sent out to all the guests to, to come, to assemble for this great and glorious feast with their King, with our King. And listen to how Jesus puts it very well in this parable. Matthew 22, if you want to turn there. Matthew 22, I'm going to start reading at verse 2. 
Let's hear the words of our Lord from Matthew 22, beginning in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up the city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now there's a lot of things in there that we could talk about. And I want to point out particularly that the wedding garments, those speak particularly of the righteousness of Christ that is yours and is mine through the work of Christ for us. Because you and I, we have no righteousness of our own. And without the righteousness of Christ, we will be cast into hell. But what I want to point out here is that this proclamation of this parable by Jesus, proclamation of what salvation is all about, it's not only found here, but it's really no different than what we find in Proverbs 9. There is a gracious and glorious feast that has been prepared for believers for your very life, for your very soul. All the gracious blessings of the gospel in rich abundance have been prepared for the necessities, for your necessity and my necessity as sinful people, for sinners like you and me. It's all here in Christ. In rich and glorious and gracious abundance. There is no lack to it at all. It is rich and gracious and abundant. The Savior has come. The Redeemer has died. His blood has been shed for the remission of all our sin. And by Christ's obedience unto death, even the death of the cross, He has made an end of sins, made reconciliation for iniquity, and has brought in everlasting righteousness. And so here at this great feast of the wisdom of God, the feast of the Gospel, the wedding feast of the Lamb, that is spread before us, you and I find what we need most. We find that which will satisfy our souls fully and finally, both now and forever. We find pardon for our sin, peace with God. We find the righteousness of Christ that you and I need so desperately. We find life, eternal life, salvation in all of its fullness. We find rest and glory that will last for all eternity. It's all prepared for you. 
It's all ready for you. It only waits for you to come. And the Lord Jesus Himself invites you to come. He calls you to come. And will you never give up the mud puddle of your sin and your misery and come to Christ that you may have life, eternal life, eternal joy in Him? Will you not come? Now there are two ways in this life. That's how this started. And you and I both know that not everyone will leave their sin and come to the Savior. Even though He's done all that's necessary for them to come. That they will remain in their folly. They will remain in their foolishness. They will remain in their sin. There's the way of wisdom. And it's only found in Christ. There's also the way of folly which is found in this world. And that's what we see here in the last part of Proverbs 9. I want to read the last part of those verses to you once again. Verses 13 through 18, Proverbs 9. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Doesn't that describe our world? For she sits at the door of our house, of her house, on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. And notice it's the same call. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, well, at least the first part is the same, right? But her answer is different completely. She says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The way of sin is a good way to go. That's what she's saying. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Do all obey the call to come to the wedding feast of the Lamb? Do all obey to come to Christ? Do all receive and rejoice in that salvation? Do all come and partake of this heavenly banquet? Now it's sad to say, of course, you know the answer. No, they do not. Many are they who mock the call of wisdom in the day of Solomon when this was written. And many are they who refuse to come even in the day when Christ walked this earth. And many are they who refuse to hear the apostles when they turned the world upside down. Really, they turned it right side up. With the message of salvation in Christ alone. And so it has been down through the ages, down to our present day. As the gospel has gone forth to the, to the four corners of the earth and through all the centuries, this has always been the case. Through all these many centuries, mankind, we, have always been our worst enemy. Through all the centuries, we've despised what is good and we've become the destroyer of our own souls. How foolish we have been. And so many have done so. But people of God, they have no one to blame but themselves. The gospel has gone forth. And it continues to go out. And while there have been those times through history when the gospel was well received, at least for a time, many of those lands that once openly received the gospel have become darkened once again. There was a time when the missionary movement spoke of the dark continent of Africa. And yet it seems today that Europe and North America would be better qualified by those terms 
of darkness. How many have heard? How many have rejected the message? And what is our answer? What do we do? Well, I have a twofold answer for you here. First of all, you and I, we need to be revived ourselves in our commitment to give ourselves to Christ. We still need to come to the feast. Remember, it's something it says daily. You and I, we need to drink deeply of the wells of salvation. It's the church today that needs to be awakened to arise from our slumber so that we might continue the task that Jesus gave us of the Great Commission. The people of this world, they need to hear the Gospel. They need to see the Gospel in us. You know the mission field begins at the door of this church as soon as you walk outside. We need to be faithful in our lives to the Gospel. And we need to show by our words and by our actions that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and that what you and I have in Christ is greater than anything that this world can offer. Far greater. But also, beloved, I I think we need to be thankful. We need to be grateful for the great work of God to us. What He has done for us in our hearts and souls. Thanksgiving really shows itself in obedience. And think about it. If the Lord had not reached out to us, touched our hearts and souls, where would you and I be? We would be lost, just as lost as anyone else. The Word of God, the Gospel of Christ, it should be precious to us. You and I have been given the words of life. Yes, that's what it is. It's a life-giving Word that touches the very depths of our hearts and souls. It's this Word. It's this Gospel that you and I need every day. Not just when we first believe, but every day, every moment of our lives. We turn away from this life-giving Word to the foolishness of this world at the peril of our souls. You see, the goal of salvation is not just to bring us to heaven when we die. The goal of our salvation in Christ is to work in us even now. So that we're prepared for that day. To make us ready for that day when we will enjoy the final victory. The final feast of our salvation in Christ so that we can enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. Again, to repeat myself from years ago, I'm sure I used to quote some old Puritan who said, the purpose of life is to prepare for death so that we're ready to die. So that Christ will welcome us into the fullness of of His kingdom. We want to hear Jesus say, enter into the joy of your Lord. And we don't want to hear the Lord say to us, as He does on the Day of Judgment to some in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name? Cast out demons in Your name and done many wonders in Your name? And I will declare to you, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew You. Depart from Me. You who practice lawlessness. Beloved, the point here is that many follow the way of folly. 
They follow the way of this world that is passing away, and truly that is the way of death. Because it's only those who do the will of the Father who will abide forever. Now we can read through the Scriptures over and over and still not see the Lord Jesus, not see Him in all of His glory, totally miss His call upon us in our lives. We can read the book of Proverbs and see it, well, it's just kind of a handbook about how to live wisely in this life. But if that's all we do, then we will miss the way of Christ. These are the Scriptures, Jesus said, that testify of Me. And we neglect them at the peril of our souls. If we do not see Christ, and we do not see His call upon our lives. So do you see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as it's laid out before you in these words here in in Proverbs 9? It is not the way of wisdom. Is it not clearly laid out before you? Do you not see that eternal life is in this way? It's not in the way of folly. It's not in the way of foolishness and sin. And do you not see that the deadness, the deadness really of, the, of this foolishness, but you see the way of Christ, the way of the Redeemer, the way of wisdom is a life full of grace and mercy and joy and gladness in Christ. No matter what our circumstances might be. Because this world cannot take away what is ours in Christ. And what you and I need more than anything else is a living, vibrant, joyful faith in our Savior. Because without Him, we're told we can do nothing. Without Christ, you and I are undone. Without His great power to save and His great work to atone, you and I would never even seek Him. And we would never come to a knowledge of the truth. We would never be saved if it were not for Him. For His great provision for us in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, in His ascension. Without Christ, we would all be following the way of folly. We would all perish in our sin. But you see, the good news is the Lord has come. He's lived and died and rose again in victory over sin and death and hell. And He has spoken to us by His Word through the power of His Spirit. He's revealed Himself to us. He's revealed to us His great work of salvation. And His call upon our lives is not just a one-time thing that you did ten years ago. It is a life-changing daily call to live for Him, to seek after Him, to commune with Him until He comes. That day comes when we enter into His presence and we will enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. Beloved, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, this is again Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who find it, who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Let us hear the call of wisdom. Let us come to the feast. Let us rejoice in God our Savior. Let us forsake our foolishness and live. 
Let's walk in the way of wisdom, the way of understanding, the way of Christ, forsaking this empty world that promises to give us everything and yet gives us nothing. Nothing of value. Nothing that will last for all eternity. Let us walk in newness of life. Giving thanks to our Savior by walking worthy of our calling in Christ. Let me close with the words from the Apostle in Colossians chapter 3. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what's the promise? And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to gather and to hear Your Word, to hear Your call upon our life, to be reminded once again, Lord, that You love us, that You've done everything that is necessary for our salvation, and that we must give ourselves to You. For only You have the words of life. Where else would we go? This world is passing away. But You, in You, we have life eternal. We have joy now and joy for all eternity because of Your great love for us. Truly, Lord, we ask that You would work in us. Revive us again, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.